0: God, may that be our sincere and honest prayer that you would speak. That you would speak truth that we would receive it as such. Not as the word of a mere man, but as the word of God. Would you bless now the reading, the proclamation, the hearing, and the responding to your word. All for the glory of because of and in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen. Well, I I love a good murder mystery. Whether that's written by Doyle or Christie or Chesterton, I, I love a, a good murder mystery where you're trying to figure out who done it. You start from beginning to end, and you're trying to figure out, okay, was it the person I least suspected or first suspected? And there's twists and turns throughout, and it's entertaining and it's intriguing for me. I love a good murder mystery, but this morning, I'm going to remove the mystery for us by telling you from the beginning who done it. As we begin, I want to make it clear who is the one guilty of murder? And the answer is you. I know you might object and say, well, I've actually never maliciously taken the life of an innocent person, to which I would say, good, I'm glad. But that's not all that murder is. That is murder. But there's more to it than that. I think that's what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22, when he says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, When he says that, but I say to you, he's not correcting or trying to contradict the Old Testament, the Word of God. He's saying you have heard that it was said. That is, those who taught you, their interpretation, your understanding needs to be corrected. I say to you that though you think that murder is simply maliciously taking the life of an innocent person, though that is, I'm telling you, I say to you, there's more. That everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment, just like those who take a life. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says "you fool" will be liable to the hell of fire. Jesus, you see, is showing us the heart behind the action of murder. He says the heart matters. We read in Matthew fifteen nineteen, Jesus says, "For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, and so forth." It's out of that heart that murder comes. So there is a real sense in which you can have a murderous heart. I mean, you wouldn't really be okay with somebody coming up to you and saying, congratulations, I'm so excited for you. Would you? You wouldn't say, well, I mean, they said the right words. And you wouldn't and you shouldn't be okay if you had a child and said, uh, they said, can, we go, can I go do this? You said, no, you need to go cl- clean your room first. And they said, oh, rolled their eyes and stomped away into the room, and slammed the door, started throwing stuff in their closet. You wouldn't say, well, technically they're obeying because you know they're not. Because though they're doing what you said, they're not doing what you meant, and they know it and you know it. They're not honoring your, their father and their mother. That's a throwback to last week. And <clears throat> we would say, the heart matters. And so we, we, we must not think simply in terms of obedience is a, an issue of technicality. Well, I mean, technically I'm obeying because I haven't taken someone's life. I'm not really murdering, right? God says that's not how this works. We must remember that we are called not simply to obey the law of God, but to obey the God of the law. This is a personal thing for him. It's a relational obedience where he says, I care about what you do and why you do it and how you do it. And he sees your heart. Jesus here is pointing out, I believe, that the sixth commandment of Exodus chapter 20 verse 13, which says you shall not murder, only four words. And in Hebrew, it's only two words. He's pointing out that this is a summary command, as all the Ten Commandments really are. That is, that they, they don't give you every possible application of it in these words. It's, it's not just about obeying what it said, but what it means. There's a depth to it and a fullness and a breadth to the sixth commandment that is not simply read in the words, you shall not murder. There is both a negative and a positive aspect to the commandments. So when it says you shall not murder, there's an equal opposite that we should be doing. Well, what is the positive aspect of the Sixth Commandment? To put it simplistically, maybe. But I think to put it biblically, it is to love. Romans 13, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That is the commandments. He says it. Verse 9, For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, that's ours for today, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You see, you're not obeying the sixth commandment unless you love. Not simply if you just don't take a life. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Love is the fulfilling of the law. So let me ask you, and not just simply have you not taken a life, an innocent life in malicious, with malicious intent, but have you loved? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? Have you ever talked to or about someone? Have you responded to someone in ways that were less than loving? All of us, you see, have broken the sixth commandment in our words, in our heart, with our mind and our attitude and our facial expression, even with our actions, even if we haven't taken a life. You say, okay, but isn't murder of the heart, isn't that, I mean, is that really as bad as murdering with your hands? Of course not, and absolutely. What I mean is, is that if, if we think in terms of murdering uh, in our hearts, with our words, that does not have as a destructive, immediately so, of an impact as murdering with our hands does. Taking a life has greater impact immediately. That's obvious. But murdering in our hearts is just as wicked because it comes from the same root. Murdering with our words has the same heart. And God says, I see that. I care about that. Not just your actions. And it it's just as condemnable isn't that what jesus is pointing out in matthew 5 where he says i know you've heard it was said and you've understood it to be simply that if you take someone's life maliciously and unjustly so that you're going to be sentenced to judgment but he says jesus says i say to you if you have this anger in your heart and you speak it out to somebody else like this you are in danger of the hell of fire John says in First John 3.15 that everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And we know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. So since murder flows out of an unloving heart of self-centered pride and envy and faithlessness, I think we could say, and I think we should say, that murder is unjustly causing the death of or being selfishly uncaring about the life of a human. When we read in in, uh, Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder, we should read this. You shall not unjustly cause the death of a human, and you shall not be selfishly uncaring about the life of a human. That's the sixth commandment. That's what it means, and I think we're starting to get at here a little bit of the principle behind the commandment that flows out of the very person of the commandment. Remember, we've been talking about the Ten Commandments, that each command is, is a precept, it's a rule, And behind each precept is a principle that kind of gives it meaning. It's the idea behind it. It's fuller. And every uh, principle, every idea is built on and comes out of the person of God himself. God says, because of who I am, this is why you should live this way. So every commandment reveals something about God. Well, what does the sixth commandment reveal about God? It reveals that God is the one from whom and for whom all human life exists. God is the one, the only one from whom and for whom all human life exists. We all have been made by God and we've all been made for God's glory. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 8, 6, Yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. This means that He has given life to all humanity. And He's made us in His own image that we would be like Him, In many respects, in many ways, we are to reflect His goodness, His character, His ways. And in the ways we are not like Him, we should be submissive to Him and trusting Him. See, because we are made in God's image means we are like Him, but we are not Him. God in God alone has all life in His hands. God has the soul right and Authority to give and take life. And so we are not free to give or take life in any way that He does not approve of. And so we are not like God in this. He is sovereign over life. He has the prerogative of life and death. We don't. And so we're just called to submit to Him in this and trust Him in this. And yet we are called as His image bearers to be like Him with regarding death and life by protecting life. Preserving life and promoting life. Listen, because humans are made in the image of God, all human beings have value. Full stop. Just let it settle. Because humans are made in the image of God, every human life has value. I keep saying humans here. That murder is unjustly causing the death of a human that it is, it is being selfishly uncaring about the life of a human. I'm doing that to make a distinction between the animals and plants and other organisms. Not because they don't matter. But because their value is less than ours. Because they, unlike us, are not made in the image of God. And that, you see, is what makes murder, murder. That's what makes it so heinous and wicked. God tells Noah in Genesis 9, verse 6 Whoever sheds the blood of man by man shall his blood be shed. He gives the capital punishment for those who murder. Why? He says, For because God made man in his own image. Suppose you have a friend or a family member. Let's just say it's Pastor Steve, that he is does some heroic act for all of humanity. And Winstow wants to uh, award him some great honor. And so they build a statue of him. They put it in the middle of, uh, of winston And then one night somebody comes and just starts putting some hateful things, spray painting it all over. And starts so breaking pieces off of it. We would not assume, well, that person probably just hates art. We wouldn't think, oh, they don't like the material that it was made out of. They would say, we would say they're disrespecting the statue because they disrespect Pastor Steve. God says... Exactly. Those who would maliciously attack, unjustly cause the death of people made in my image are attacking me. Humans of every ethnicity, every color, every age, every gender are made in the image of God. And this is why it's evil to unjustly cause the death of a human. This is why it's wicked to be selfishly uncaring about the life of a human because they're made in the image of God. That includes the unborn. That includes the elderly. That includes yourself, your own body. That includes the sick and the dying and the suffering and the disabled mentally or physically or any other way. Those that the society would label as helpless and useless. It covers all of them. They are all made. Every, each human is made in the image of God and therefore has value. And no one and nothing can destroy that can take it away. I mean, logic tells us if something has value, if someone has value, then we should value it, right? So we should value every human life and seek their good. This is love. I mean, this is just a basic definition of love. Value human life and seek their good. Love is when you so value somebody, it produces action for their highest good. You value them that you are committed to their highest good and you work for it, even if it costs you something. That's love. Remember, love is the fulfillment of all of God's commands, including the sixth commandment of you shall not murder. You shall, you must love one another. And so we we need to understand that we, in order to obey the sixth commandment and the principle of it, we must not unjustly cause the death of or be selfishly uncaring about the life of a human. And here's the principle. We should sincerely value human life made in the image of God and seek to lovingly protect Preserve and promote human life for the glory of God. We should so sincerely value human life because we say it's made in God's image. That then, therefore, I want to lovingly protect that life and preserve that life and to promote that life for God's glory. For the glory of God. God, the one from whom and for whom all human life exists. How do we do this? What does this look like? How do we apply the sixth commandment and the principle of it? Let me give you several ways. Number one, very simply, don't unjustly cause the death of a human or be selfishly uncaring about the life of a human. And when I say don't unjustly cause the death of a human, I'm intending that word cause to have a wide range of meaning. I I, I intend in that don't intentionally cause the death of somebody unjustly. We read in Exodus 21, verse 14. Exodus 21, verse 14. But if a man willfully attacks another to kill him by cunning, you shall take him from my altar that he may die. If he willfully attacks another by cunning, that is murder. That's unjust causing of death. But it also includes this idea of unjustly causing the death of another also can include accidentally causing their death. If if that accident is within our power and our responsibility to prevent it. If you can should, and should do something about it, listen to Exodus 21, verses 28 and 29. Exodus 21, verse 28. When an ox gores a man or a woman to death, the ox shall be stoned and its flesh shall not be eaten, but the owner of the ox shall not be liable. It's an accident, a pure accident. And there's not murder, there's not unjust causing of death. But, verse 29... But if the ox has been accustomed to gore in the past and its owner has been warned but has not kept it in and it kills a man or woman, the ox shall be stoned and its owner shall be put to death. Why? Because they were so selfishly uncaring about the life of other humans that they didn't do what they could and should have done to prevent that death. God says that's akin to murder. And so when someone gets drunk and they start driving, And they accidentally kill someone. In God's eyes, that is murder. Because they had the responsibility and they had the power to prevent such a death, but they didn't care enough to do so. Their heart was murderous because it was selfishly uncaring. But I think this also extends even to allowing death to occur. When it's within your power and your responsibility to spare them, to help them, If somebody is right in front of you at a restaurant and they start choking or having a heart attack and you just say, hey, can you pass the the ketchup there? What does that say about your heart? It's murderous. Because you do not value life as you should. As the sixth commandment calls you to. As God calls you to. When I say don't unjustly cause the death of a human, we need to understand justice in the sense of what God says. Right and wrong, good and bad, are what God says in His Word. And so listen, you will not find one allowance, one ounce of wiggle room or freedom to say that it is a just causing of death in abortion, suicide, or physician-assisted suicide. This is unjustly causing the death of another. It's not a mercy killing. It's not bravery. It's a devaluing of life. It's putting yourself in the place of God where He has the sole right and authority to give and take life. We must submit to Him and trust Him for it. And when I say that we must not unjustly cause the death of a human, that does mean that there is such a thing as justly causing the death of a human. First, it can be an innocently or even a right, righteously causing the death of a human. And, and the difference has to do with the intent of the heart in the context of the situation and the relationship. We already talked about Exodus 21, verse 28, which talks about pure accident. That is innocently causing the death of another. But look at Exodus 22, verses 2 and 3. And we see in this... Uh, The intent and the context matters. He says, if a thief is found breaking in and is struck so that he dies, there shall be no blood guilt for him. This is an issue of defense, defense of self or of others. It's not murder, no unjust killing. But, he says, verse 3, if the sun is risen on him, there shall be blood guilt for him. I, I, I take that to mean that if somebody comes and robs you in the middle of the night, and you wake up and you find it to be so, and the sun has risen, and your anger is is residing still, and you go out and you find the person, and you kill them, it is not justice, it is vengeance. And vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. He will repay. That is an unjust causing of death. It is murder. We must not do it. And we could say that justly causing the death of another, righteously even doing so, would be the state authorized killing when it is by uh, uh, by necessity or by legal justice those authorized and do so out of necessity or by and legally so the soldier the law enforcement officer or the executioner we read in romans chapter 13 this time in verses 3 and 4 talking about the governing authorities that god has put in place he says for rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. The sword is that which kills. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. It would be an act of justice or necessity. And I hope you can see from these examples that they are but few. In such, it should be a rare thing to cause the death of a human. And indeed, it is a rare thing to do so justly. And that we should so value human life. That if someone has to take a life in order to protect another, if someone has to in order for justice to be done, we can rejoice in justice and rejoice in protection, but we should lament in death. It should never make us happy when someone has to die, even when it's our enemy. We should so value human life that we're never happy about it. And we should make it our aim, our prayer, our desire in life that we would never put anyone to death. And we should make it our unwavering commitment that we would never, ever, unjustly cause the death of another human. But as important and as foundational to human flourishing as making sure we do not unjustly cause the death of a human, as that is, we must also not be selfishly uncaring about the life of humans. We should so sincerely value human life made in the image of God that we lovingly seek to protect and preserve and promote human life for the glory of God. And what does that look like? How do we apply this sixth commandment in the principle behind it when it has both a negative and a positive aspect to it, something we should not do and things we must do? Maybe first we should repent. We should repent. I said from the beginning that it is no mystery who the murderers are. It's us. It's not just those bad people out there. It is us. And we should repent. And as we continue going through the Ten Commandments, as if we're reading them right, if we're preaching them rightly, and if we're responding to them rightly, part of our application, I would say a core part of our application every single, in every single commandment should include repentance. If it's not, then we're missing something. We're thinking of it's only for other people and not for us. Repentance is a real turning from sin. A real turning in our hearts what we value, in our minds and how we think, in in our lives and how we act. Repentance is a real turning from sin in all of these ways. And it always has an equal opposite of a turning to the Lord Jesus with faith. Because Jesus did just the opposite of murder. He came and He loved Perfectly. From his heart. He served. He gave. He fed. He blessed. He healed. He even, instead of taking life, he gave his life so as to give life to others, even to his enemies. So we must trust in his life, his perfect, sinless life. Trust in his perfect, sinless heart. And then we must trust in his his death on the cross as a substitute for sinners like us. That he was punished for those who will trust in Him. And then we must trust in His resurrected life that He has promised forgiveness, an eternal life, which is both a spiritual life, but also one day it will be a forever physical life. The Gospel includes our bodies and our physical life because God values them. And part of this repentance and faith, this life of repentance, this life of faith for the believer, it has many, many, many applications. And I could not spend a thousand sermons and exhaust all the ways the sixth commandment could be applied to every possible situation. But what I can do is try to give you just a couple more and show you how I got there that maybe then you will have the tools to go and apply it to your own life. So let me just give you this one. If you want to obey the sixth commandment, if you want to obey the sixth commandment at principle, then stop murdering people with your words. Stop murdering people with your words. Isn't that kind of what Jesus is getting at in Matthew 5? That you can murder with your hands, yes, but you can also murder in your heart and with your tongue, with your lips and your mouth, how you speak. You can insult and say, you fool, you empty-headed, good-for-nothing fool. And God says, your heart is one of murder. Proverbs says that life and death are in the power of the tongue says that rash words are like sword thrust. In James chapter three verse nine, he says that with our, our mouths, with our tongue we bless the Lord, and with it we curse people made in His likeness and His image. My brothers, this should not be. They're made in the image of God, and we should value everything made in His image, indeed. So how we talk to and how we talk about humans made in the image of God reveals something about our heart, whether it is murderous or not whether we really do love people, whether we really are valuing life. So if you disagree with somebody, fine, disagree. And disagree clearly. Disagree flatly. Disagree strongly. Disagree passionately and sharply. But not with malice in your heart so that it comes out in your words in, with trying to wound and harm. Stop murdering people with your words. And when someone wrongs you, and they have, and they will continue to do so. You can, and often you should confront it. Yes, you can overlook at times, and other times you should confront. And you can confront directly. But you can also, you don't have to retaliate. You can forgive. Peter says in 1 Peter 3, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless, for to this you have been called, that you may obtain a blessing. So forgive. When others wrong you and wound you and hurt you, even if you have to confront, forgive. Even if that relationship remains broken, you can forgive. I don't mean that as it's easy. It's not simple and a one and done thing. It's still commanded. It is still good. Forgive as the Lord God in Christ has forgiven you if indeed you are in Christ by faith. And if you're not, then call out to Him now and He will forgive you. And you forgive in part by trusting Him. By trusting Him to bring justice in His timing and His way. You forgive in part by trusting Him to comfort you and care for you in ways that other people have not. You forgive by trusting Him and asking Him to help you. And by when it's wise and in ways that it's wise to pursue reconciliation. And sometimes it's not possible. Sometimes it can only go so far, but as far as it depends on you, be open for it. Be ready for it and pursue reconciliation and bless them. Promote their life. Seek blessing for them. You want to know the surest way to prevent the murder with your hands? Repent of murder in your heart. And stop murdering with your words. And it will never go further. And often, maybe the number one place where this happens, where we murder in our hearts and with our words, it's in our home. It's with people we're closest to. Because they know us, we know them. And they know our buttons and they press them. And it's like sandpaper against sandpaper and it hurts. And we say, enough! and we want to pay them back for this wrong. And we want to be foolish and give full vent to our anger because we feel like it's a safe place. It should be a safe place where nobody's murdering anyone, but even if they do, you don't. You forgive. You pursue. You bless. For to this you have been called that you may obtain a blessing. Maybe the second uh, most common area where this happens where we murder people with our words is online. Well, it's easy. We're not in person. We're not face-to-face. We're just sending a text or email or on social media. Can I just make something very clear? The medium doesn't matter. Your heart does. The medium doesn't matter whether you are face-to-face or on the phone or texting or you're emailing or you're sending a courier pigeon. It doesn't matter. If you have malice in your heart and in your words, it is murder. And don't do it. Sticks and stones can break bones and words can wound people for life. So put a guard over your mouth. Be wise and bring healing with how you speak. How do we apply this sixth commandment and the principle behind it? Commit. Commit to lovingly protect, preserve, and promote life. I say commit because you must settle it in your mind and in your heart now what you will do before you're confronted with a situation or you may not do it. Commit to lovingly protecting, preserving, and promoting human life because you value it because it's made in the image of God, the God from whom and for whom all life exists. Because one day, the what if may become a what is. What if it's not somebody else's, but what if it's your teenage son or daughter? is confronted with pregnancy and they're being pressured to have an abortion will you care for the mother and the child will you promote life and protect it at the same time settle it now one day it might not be somebody else's friend but your friend who is so depressed that they want to take their own life what will you tell them will you fight for them when they have no hope, will you have hope for them and give it to them as long as they need it? It may be your family member who's so suffering and in and, and pain and near death and they want you just to end it for them. What will you do? You must commit now that you will lovingly protect and preserve and promote life for the glory of God. But this can only happen if we truly, sincerely value human life made in the image of God. If that's the case, then instead of being selfishly uncaring about the life of a human, you will lovingly protect, preserve, and promote their life. What does that look like? Practical ways to promote or to protect people from harm, to preserve those in need, and to promote the blessing of others in their lives. It surely looks like many, many things. But one of the things it looks like is like Francie Blackwell working with Thrive for years, talking to and, and wanting to help these young mothers who are scared, who are often alone and confused and hurting and are pregnant. It looks like people at Piney Ridge Church who foster children and who adopt them and say, I, I value life, even when others don't. It looks like those who work as healthcare providers and workers to say, I want to spend my life protecting others, preserving others, promoting the life of human beings made in the image of God. It looks like those who provide food for the Wabash students across the street. And people like Kara and Tiffany and I have seen others who help to deliver it to them so as to promote their good, to preserve their life. It looks like those who care for disabled children even when it's tiring day in and day out. Valuing life looks like you care for your aging parents, maybe when they're not worthy of it because of how they act. It looks like those who are part of our abuse care team who say, I want to make sure that the lives of the vulnerable and defenseless and the helpless are protected. It looks like those who are on the safety team at Piney Ridge Church that says, I so value life, I will even put my life in harm's way so as to protect and love others. It looks like this and more. your Ridge, as your pastors, we are proud of you. We are encouraged, we are blessed and thankful. We see so many ways that you value life, that you love and you protect, you preserve and you promote life for the glory of God. And we pray that every opportunity we get, we will just do so more and more. But we will not do so if we become desensitized. If we allow ourselves, and I say it that way because it's it's being forced on us. If we allow ourselves to be desensitized to the pain, to the suffering, to the loss, and to the death of other people. It's nearly everywhere. You cannot open up your social media feed or turn on the news or hear a story from just about anybody that does not include suffering or death. And it's just too easy to say, that's somebody else. That's somebody else's child or spouse. That's somebody else's parent. That's on the news that happens. Or that's in the inner city. That person's part of a gang. That person was somebody in another country. And you just detach it from your heart. Don't do that. What if every time you hear about somebody dying? Or somebody who's sick? Or you see an ambulance? You stop and you pray. And you don't pray just one of these, Oh God, please help them. But with the sincerity of heart, you say, God, make my heart soft. That I value life. And would you bless those people. Make it a part of your regular praying times to pray for those who are defenseless. For those who are hurting and in need. They must have compassion. Jesus did. Jesus did even when he wanted to be alone and by himself. And he says, there's so many needs all over the place. It's overwhelming. Jesus, Jesus, help me. They're touching him, clamoring after him. He can't even eat or breathe. He's going to be crushed. And he has compassion on them, not just for their spiritual life, but for their physical too. But we don't always, do we? Our hearts have been desensitized, and des- desensitized in many ways. Our hearts have grown hard. We want to insulate ourselves because it's easier. It's our way to cope. See, part of repenting of this means confessing it to God and sometimes it means confessing it to each other and confessing it together. So we're going to have a prayer of confession on the screen here. And I'm going to invite you, I'm going to urge you to pray it aloud together with me as I lead us. Creator God, you have crowned all humans with glory and honor by creating us in your image. Because of this, you require us to promote and protect human life. Yet we confess that by giving free rein to our anger, we have murdered in our hearts. We have entertained evil thoughts about other people. We have lashed out in vengeful anger when we were wounded. We have taken vengeance against our enemies by seeking to destroy them with our words. We haven't done all that we should do to discourage others from violence. We have been afraid to work for reconciliation when we could have. We have been obsessed with preserving and protecting our own way of life while showing little concern for the lives and needs of others. We have given too little thought and effort to protecting the lives of the weak and helpless among us. For these grievous sins, we ask your forgiveness in the name of the one who is our righteousness. Jesus Christ, amen. You know, the message of the church, the message of Jesus is a message of life. It's a message of life about what God has done and that He has made all human beings in His image and therefore to have value. It's It's about what God has done in Christ and what He is doing and what He will do in Christ. Remember, the, the gospel, the good news includes us right now, us spiritually right now and physically right now, and one day we will have no sin, we will have no struggles, we will have no strife, no murder, we will have no death. Our hope is the fullness of that good news, this blessings. And it all comes because Jesus loved, he has forgiven, he has reconciled and blessed all those who are in him by faith because of his great grace. He's done this even for his enemies, even for murderers like us. On the cross, Jesus said to his father, Father, forgive them. Those who were murdering him, forgive them. They know not what they do. I told you at the beginning that it is no mystery who the murderers are. so said, it's you. And in one real sense, that is true, isn't it? We've just confessed it to be so. But I love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous, that is murderers included, will not inherit the kingdom of God, and such were some of you. Isn't that beautiful? That we are both sinners and we are saints with faith in Christ. We are both murderers and yet such we were. We were because we have been washed sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So this morning, if this does not yet describe you, because you're not trusting in Jesus, in His life, in His death, in His resurrection, then as we partake of communion together this morning, this is not yet a meal for you. Instead, when others take communion, get on your knees and cry out to God to give you faith to lead you to repentance. that You would trust Him in in Jesus and be saved and forgiven and cleansed and washed. And yet this morning, if you are trusting in Jesus, you're turning from sin to Him again and again. And you know that Jesus was never a murderer. And for murderers like us, He has come. And He lived and He died and He rose again. I invite you now to take your communion cup for those who have been baptized with in the church. The church is affirming your faith in Jesus. And take this wafer that is the bread that represents the body of Christ broken for sin. And take it knowing that he gave his life to give you yours. In the same way, take the juice. It represents the blood of Jesus poured out for sinners like us, knowing that by His blood you were washed. By His blood you have been justified and forgiven and reconciled with Father. And by His blood you are being sanctified and changed so that you can repent with faith and grow to be more like Jesus from the heart, a heart of love that values life.